Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another, are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. Hey guys, welcome to the second part of episode 51 on the Sarah Lawrence sex cult scandal. Of course, I'm Kay. And I'm John. So before we begin with a quick recap of what we've covered in last episode, we want to give a huge shout out to The Cut, which is a section of New York Magazine who broke this story and provided much of the information that we are going to use and quote in this episode today. We also want to give a shout out to Brittany and Cade. Thank you guys so much for listening and being awesome. Cade, Brittany wanted to wish you an early happy birthday, which is on June 9th. And we just wanted to say happy birthday too. And thank you guys. And of course, wish you a lifetime of happiness. Happy birthday. So last episode, we had to, and we're really sorry about this, introduce you to Larry Ray. Larry is an interesting character to say the very least. He grew up in New York City, where he managed to integrate himself into the Italian mafia, enough to be involved in an extensive pump and dump stock scheme. Using his charm and charisma, he was also able to live a double life, rubbing elbows with politicians, world leaders, and decorated high-ranking military officers. However, when Larry gets into trouble in 2000, he will quickly realize that these two worlds do not mix very well. And when he asks a friend, the New York Police Department Commissioner Bernie Keurig, to help him escape these charges from the pump-and-dump scheme, Keurig tells him that he can't do anything to intervene, and Larry does not take this slight lightly. Larry crumbles after he did not get the help that he thought he would from his quote-unquote friends, and the unraveling is bad. The whole time Larry is living those two lives, he somehow managed to fit in time to have a family. But this is when his family was about to break down. His wife, Teresa, filed for divorce in 2004, and his oldest daughter, Talia, sided with him. Larry convinced his daughters to lie to the investigators from child welfare and tell them that their mother was physically abusing them and that her family was sexually abusing them. The allegations were found to be false, but Talia never faltered from the side of her father. In 2007, Larry was arrested on domestic violence charge after he attacked his then girlfriend sending him to jail and as this was a violation of his probation he had to serve three years by the time larry got out of jail his daughter talia was a sophomore at the prestigious liberal arts college sarah lawrence he needed a place to stay and his daughter invited him to stay in her housing condo with her seven other roommates and this is where larry became a larger than life figure within slonum nine He told the kids, who were all extremely vulnerable, all having dealt with depression, had thoughts of suicide, or had attempted suicide, that he could use what he learned from the government about mind strengthening to help them overcome their problems. He told the students that he would be meeting with them one-on-one. And that's where we left off, the sessions that he was beginning to have with Isabella. Remember, this is when he was laying in the bed with her, stroking her hair, saying nobody was going to hurt his baby. And when he also is going to say that Isabella is making allegations of sexual assault from 
a family member. And then he goes on to tell her that he believes she's schizophrenic, even though he has no background in psychology or psychiatry whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, this guy at this at this moment, I mean, even at the like at the end of our episode uh, on part one. I mean, this guy is becoming like the puppet master. Unfortunately, I, it seems like he's pulling all the strings of these of these victims. You know, like they are. I know they're in college, but I would still consider them children, and their their minds are developing. And to take advantage of them like this so far is just it's just unbelievable. So, well, I don't think it's gonna get gonna get any better. <laughs> no, it's definitely not going to get any better. And like you said, they they are really children because it's been proven that the decision-making part of your brain doesn't truly develop until you're 25. This is something my parents told me over and over again when I was still in college. But you think because you're the oldest you ever are that you're the wisest you'll ever be. And that coupled with the fact that these children are really vulnerable. They come from difficult backgrounds not based on their physical well-being but their mental well-being so i think he's kind of preying on that oh yeah absolutely i mean it's been shown time and time again that not only is he doing this with the children but he's done this to adults as well during his entire career or his life really oh yeah and like high-ranking officials yeah government people it's not like it's not like he's only preying on the the kids in college right now like but he's doing he's done it to everyone i think his whole life was kind of like a build-up for this and it's become his these kids have become his perfect victims yeah no one's off limits it's really sad so guys that's where we left off with lowry having total control over both his daughter and isabella but of course that wouldn't be enough lowry is then going to set his sights on another roommate daniel Daniel at first wasn't buying what Larry was selling. He thought that his philosophical theories and rants were incoherent and weird. He also thought that his closest friend Claudia was making a mistake by entrusting him with her mental health counseling. Claudia had a lot of complex issues. Daniel believed that his friend should be seeking the help of a licensed therapist. However, Larry convinced her that he had some sort of crazy ability to talk and empathize with people and help young people by talking to them and helping them work through their issues. For months, Daniel's opinion about Larry did not change. He was adamant that the man was weird. However, towards the end of the spring semester, Daniel began to face hard times as well. He had a difficult breakup with a serious girlfriend. They were kind of on and off. And in his desperation, he reached out to anyone that would listen. Remember that feeling of like your first, when you were young, not your first heartbreak, but just when you're younger, your world kind of revolves around the person that you're with. And then when you break up with them, it's kind of this ultimate devastation. Oh, yeah, definitely. Especially when you feel like, well, when it's like when you think it's the one kind of because everyone feels that way. I mean, I, I would imagine so. Like, oh, you're, yeah. You always, you could be a sophomore in high school and you're like, that's the person you're exactly. going to marry. Exactly. Yeah. And they're like, okay, they, you know, and then when it's gone, it's like, holy shit. Like, that's, that. this is my world now. So I can understand. Oh, yeah. I remember calling out of work several times because of breakups. <laughs> yeah. It's normal. But that's how Daniel felt. And Daniel was having a really rough time because he wasn't just on and off again with his girlfriend. But he was also trying to figure out his sexuality. 
And that was a really confusing time for him. So Claudia and Santos are going to beg him to reach out to Larry. So finally, Daniel did. He reached out to the man he was so apprehensive to accept. So of course, like we said, it's so hard when you're young. Your world is so hyper-focused on school, your friends, and yourself. So when one of those things is affected, like a breakup, it's like the rug has been pulled out from underneath. And Larry is going to agree to meet with Daniel to discuss all of the issues he's going through from his breakup to him questioning his sexuality. And the two are going to meet at a Starbucks in the city, the one closest to the apartment on 93rd Street. The two meet and they talk for hours. Larry, always knowing what to do and say, knew exactly what Daniel needed, someone to take control when he felt like he had no control over his life. Larry gave Daniel very straightforward advice. Dump your girlfriend, and oh, you're not gay. I can tell you that for sure. In Daniel's own words, he says that Larry came into his life, and he gave off this air of being a real man. And here he was, this real man, giving him direction, something that he lacked, and something that he wasn't getting from the other adults in his life. So it was this incredible feeling of such intense validation or being seen and heard finally is what Daniel's going to say. Larry at the Starbucks that day helped him achieve clarity in his life that he was searching for. And that's what Daniel's going to say in an interview later on about Larry Ray. After this meeting in Starbucks, Larry walked Daniel outside of the cafe and the two were greeted by a limo. Yes, Larry had a limo pick them up and drive them back to Larry's apartment where most of the other roommates were waiting for him to make him feel comfortable with the decision to reach out to Larry. Once they go there, Larry suggested that Daniel live there for the summer with him and a few of the other Sarah Lawrence kids. Daniel agreed to do this. When he looks back, Daniel said that a huge factor in making the decision to move into the apartment was that he didn't want to go back home and that he didn't know where to begin in looking for a place to stay in New York City. So here we have Larry preying on these kids who are in a vulnerable state, not just because of their mental health, but now because of their physical space. Sarah Lawrence is done, you know, for the summer. You have summer break. And a lot of these kids don't want to go home because of maybe them not getting along with their parents or they're depressed, or they just really generally want to stay with their friends. That's kind of what happens in college. And Larry offering them this easy solution, this apartment on 93rd Street, it seems like the perfect answer to the kids. But in reality, it's him isolating them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Also, you have to think about um, something here. It's not just the fact that they're being preyed on because of whether it's their mental health, their physical uh, physical health, their situation in general. But you also have to understand that like all the friends are saying to Daniel and I'm sure to others, hey, if you're having some issues that you need to get, you know, you need to talk it out, go see Larry. And that makes that person that's questioning things to go and do that. Because if even if you're getting weird vibes from someone and you're, you're not too sure, like, how to feel about that person getting the validation from your friends is gonna make you go and do that oh yeah as a 20 21 year old kid yeah if whatever my friend said kind of went i know that sounds really like 
No, I mean, I, I'm in the same... Follower-ish of me, but that's just kind of where your mind is as a kid. And that's the reality of it, you know? So it's not even just, the, let's say, the personality of somebody. It's also just, like, what your surroundings are. If people are telling you to, like, hey, you should do this, and you have multiple people telling you, sometimes you're gonna do what other people advise you to do. So it's just... It is what it is. Right. People in their early 20s definitely seek approval from each other and from society. And because they feel like they've kind of found bonds within their group of people they feel are on the outskirts of society, they want to make each other happy. Right. But that summer on the but that summer in the apartment on 93rd Street isn't really going to be what the kids thought it was going to be. That summer, every morning began the same exact way. Larry would blast Bubba O'Reilly by The Who, and all the Sarah Lawrence kids would know that it's time to wake up and get ready. They would look to Larry, the one who was guiding them through their very own teenage wasteland, and ask him what they were supposed to do that day. In the apartment, the kids followed the same routine that they did in the dorm, except in a lot smaller of a space. Talia, Isabella, Claudia, Santos, and Daniel sat for family meals and movie nights. Most nights consisted of intense group discussions that could last all night, leaving the kids exhausted the next day. Larry was using obvious cult tactics. Like we said, he was isolating these young, damaged, and impressionable teens, and those in their early 20s, and he was also exhausting them, breaking them down both mentally and physically. It's interesting that he even chose that song to play every morning because... As and it's, I was talking to coworkers about this case because it just broke, so it is really in the news and people are hearing about it. But when I said that this is how he woke them up every morning, the other teacher, she actually teaches psychology in the high school, so I, I usually kind of talk to her about a lot of these cases. She says that the song Bubba O'Reilly actually has cult connections, and I thought that was really interesting, and maybe that's why he picked it. So I looked into it. And of course, at the time, Pete Townsend, um, and really for most of his life, he was heavily influenced by an Indian spiritualist, Mahir Baba. And that's the, most people say Baba O'Reilly, but it's it's spelled like Baba. Like that's his song to him. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. And the lead singer of The Who reflects now on the control that Baba had on him in many interviews that he gives. And he said that the spiritual leader that claimed to be Christ snuck into his life and inwardly destroyed him. So it's so kind of ironic that this is the song that's being played for these kids as they wake up every morning, right? It's yeah, it's spooky. interesting. It's almost like he like researched it. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> you know? But living in Manhattan isn't cheap. So Larry made sure that he had several streams of income coming in. He had Daniel working at a vegan ice cream shop in the East Village. I feel like New York City is the only place there would be a vegan ice cream shop. (laughs) Oh, you'd be surprised, especially nowadays. I know, I know. And he was a, he himself was a life consultant for wealthy friends. So he's really, Larry's giving advice to a lot of people. So he must be a smooth talker to be getting paid for it. And the kids were helping him establish a domain name business. Um, Basically, they were just buying up domains on GoDaddy. And he had like millions of dollars worth of domains on GoDaddy, but was getting profits from it. I don't know exactly how it works, but I know that he was getting money in. Hmm. I'm sure it has something to do with just kind of buying and then reselling domain names. I'm sure. Yeah. 
So he would buy the roommates expensive clothing. He would take them out to expensive restaurants. He was always paying with cash. And another interesting fact was that he had a limo on call 24 hours a day to take them around the city. So he had a lot of money coming in, whether it was shady or not. But this is going to, again, be another tactic to use on the kids is that here is this guy who has a lot of money because he can afford to do all of these things. So we should look up to him because isn't that what we would aspire to be ourselves? These are all things to keep people also to net for them never to leave. You know, if you shower them with gifts and um, these the images of being wealthy and like, oh, see, look, you stick with me. This is what you could possibly have Correct. and achieve. Like, yeah, you're, no one's going to want to go. I mean... It's just normal. It's just the way the world works sometimes. Right. It's not right, but... It's how it is. It's how it is sometimes. Okay, so let's take a break to hear from our first sponsor of the episode, Vistaprint. No one knows better than small business owners the importance of being polished, professional, and prepared. You never know when the opportunity of a lifetime is going to pop up. And when it does, you want to make yourself and your business or brand look like the best option. And having a business card that shows how professional you are in your pocket, ready to hand out, is the first step in making something great happen for you. Well, your next big opportunity is coming right now, and all it takes is $10. That's a low price to have the confidence that you're always ready to make an impression or get seen in a new way. A custom card with colors, fonts, and designs and images you choose means you can look and feel like a big deal, whether you're a startup or a business with a century of history. And it doesn't have to be hard. Vistaprint uses only carefully selected inks and responsibly sourced paper stocks. It has dozens of designs that are just right for your business. You can add your logo and contact information with just a few clicks, and then you can use it for all marketing going forward. And of course, your satisfaction is 100% guaranteed, or they'll make it right, either by reprinting your order or offering a refund. Vistaprint wants you to be able to own the now in any situation, which is why our listeners will get 500 high-quality custom business cards starting at $9.99. Just go to vistaprint.com TCC. Again, that's vistaprint.com slash TCC for 500 business cards for $9.99. All right, let's get back into the show. But life on 93rd Street was not just communal living. It quickly took a sinister turn. Those late night long discussions are going to quickly turn bad. The discussions would at first be about different philosophical ideas, movies, or music. But soon things would begin going wrong in the apartment. If someone did something Larry didn't like, even something as trivial as scratch a pan while cooking, break a plate while cleaning, or move around too loudly, they would be on the hot seat that night. Larry claimed that all of these small mistakes were actually intentional manifestations of childhood trauma. While on the hot seat, that person would be interrogated by Larry and all other members of the group. The purpose of these sessions was to as Larry put it, reveal deep personal truths. The interrogations wouldn't end until the person in the hot seat went through a breakthrough. These breakthroughs, 
from what I understand, mirror those of false accusations made by psychiatric clients under hypnosis. For example, on one occasion, Larry convinced Daniel that the reason he played the ukulele was because of a trauma inflicted on him by his father. Larry told Daniel to smash the instrument in front of the group as an act of catharsis. When he did, the group applauded Daniel for achieving closure. Daniel felt immense pressure to find explanations for his actions. Once, after spending hours on the hot seat with no end in sight, Daniel told a story that finally got Larry's attention. He said that when he was a kid, he found a baby bird in his driveway and that it was injured. He said he then held the bird and crushed it until it was dead. He claimed that this was a traumatic thing that formed him into the person he was. And this story, of course, was entirely made up, but it did end the session for Daniel. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, and for everyone else to get involved in it and kind of, like, I guess, mimic. It's a false confession. Yeah, I just don't understand. I mean, that's just a way of controlling not only the person on the quote-unquote hot seat, but also... Uh, you know, to control the rest of those people in that room. It's so bizarre, like, what he's doing. Oh, it is. And think about it. Everyone's so exhausted. So the kids in the room who aren't on the hot seat are kind of, like, just, like, come on already, confess so we can all go to bed. We're so tired. And the person on the hot seat is going to feel that immense pressure to say something, and they just are. Yeah, yeah. Because now it's like, okay, everyone's looking to Daniel, in this case, to like, just say help something. us, let's go to bed kind of thing. It's so weird. Right, but then at the same time, it's continuing to give validation to Larry because, oh, look, he did have his breakthrough. Something did happen. Because I'm sure Daniel at this point is now scared to confess that that wasn't true. And I'm sure the other kids were doing the same thing. So it oh, does yeah. look like Larry's getting somewhere, but in reality, he's not. No, they don't. They they probably don't want to deal with it. But then at the same time, they must think it's right because they're continuing to do it. I mean, I guess they have no choice, but... They have no choice. Yeah, it's very hard. After these draining sessions, the kids would wake up an hour or so later to Bubba O'Reilly and have to do it all over again the next day. Larry was able to get through his days because he was taking high doses of amphetamines, and he also encouraged the other roommates to do so as well, but a lot of them didn't want to. Claudia was particularly affected by her time in the apartment. She was very motivated to adopt Larry's eating and exercise regimen. She became obsessed with losing weight, and even though she did lose weight, she grew increasingly unhappy with her self-image. Claudia's parents, who saw her occasionally, grew more and more concerned. Actually, when Claudia's parents first heard that Larry was moving into their daughter's dorm room, they went straight to Alan Green, who's the dean of student life at the college. And honestly, I would too. If they're paying all of this money and this grown man decides to just move in for free... Like, that's not okay. I know my parents would have flipped out if a grown man was living in my dorm room in college. I think most parents would. I mean, that just seems to be the responsible thing. Like, how is that allowed to happen on a college campus that this guy can just move in? So far, I have, I don't even have a clue. (laughs) Well, Green is going to say that there was nothing they could do. That they could not tell a parent that they couldn't visit their child. But I think there's a difference between, like, taking up residency and visiting. Mm, I just think that, yeah. to me, it sounds like a, a lazy excuse there. So even after all this had happened or come out, Sarah Lawrence maintains 
even now, after the story broke, that they have no record of Larry Ray ever living on campus. Which, you know what? It could be possible. Well, of course they don't have records, right. but you know what's happening on your campus. Yeah, no, I know. I think that it's possible that he was able to kind of... Maybe he was there for a time, and then it kind of became... It went from being there full-time to maybe, like, maybe kind of going... No, he was there. Hmm, yeah. Full Monty. Uh, then I don't know. Starting a cult. So, like, he was yeah, there. Yeah, I don't know. That's <laughs> bizarre. Claudia is an interesting case because... Her parents actually live a few blocks away from 93rd Street, and they're going to see her most often out of any of the kids staying in the apartment over summer break. Now, even though they saw her the most often, Claudia's parents maintained that she was not herself. She was on Larry behavior, as they put it. She would be saying things that they knew were coming straight out of his mouth. For example, she would always talk about how the Marines ate and exercised. She would also criticize her parents for running late with dinner or not keeping their apartment clean. Claudia's behavior was escalating because Larry's was as well. The mistakes that landed someone on the hot seat began to get more and more trivial. Larry said that these misbehaviors were not just signs of past traumas anymore, but they were now acts of sabotage against Larry's program of self-improvement. This subversive behavior was explored in detail and was not let go of until the accused wrote and signed a confession that they were working to sabotage the program, but they would stop immediately because they saw the error of their ways or they're deciding to stop listening to Curic and his crew. So, for example, Santos wrote in one letter that he had thrown out five checkbooks and ripped out the pages from two in order to interfere with Larry's businesses and not let him work by making sure to take up his time. It's kind of ridiculous here. Now he's turning everyone against them, so people are going to become more loyal to him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like like you just said, these are all tactics that a cult leader would It do. escalates. Yeah. It. I yeah. mean, so it's just going to get worse. From this point on, Daniel remembers delivering handwritten letters to Larry, listing items that he had damaged as part of an international effort to harm Larry's family. So the world's getting involved now. Yeah. Daniel now believes the confession served to cement Larry's psychological conditioning. All this pressure had been put on us to believe that we had done all of these terrible things to him and his family, Daniel says. The confession process demanded that Daniel reconfigure his own memories to reconcile them with Larry's accusations. And over the years, Larry would collect hundreds of pages of such confessions from the students. And most of the confessions used identical language, meaning that Larry's dictating the letters, basically. And he's thinking he's either he's really, truly delusional and he believes that all of these letters are going to be used as evidence at a later date, or he's trying to condition the kids. Personally, I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's both as well. I think he's delusional. Yeah, definitely. So now we're starting to see money get involved. Because when the kids make these confessions and claim that they're damaging things, they have to pay for them. But the kids don't have the money. So, of course, they're going to go to their families to ask for the money. So now the financial aspect is coming in. Well, towards the end of their summer vacation, Daniel is going to bear the brunt of Larry's aggressions. And in what he can only think of now were acts of aggression because Daniel was still questioning his sexuality. 
Larry would work to break this young man by taking a deeper interest into his sexual education. So one night, Isabella came out of the bedroom and began making out with Daniel on the couch. Daniel did not think anything of it. He thought that maybe she was acting on a crush that she really did have, and he was flattered. But he knew right away that this was all a plan when a few weeks later, Larry ushered the two of them into the bedroom. Larry, sitting down on a chair, instructed Daniel and Isabella to have sex while he watched. These sessions, as Larry would call them, became regular, and as time went on, Larry began to participate himself, and he made it seem as if it was only his presence that could bring clarity to both Daniel and Isabella's experience. And once, Larry even invited the landlord of the apartment to join in on the the session. I can't even begin to tell you how angry that makes me. It's crazy that he is going to now begin to physically abuse yeah like see now i need to make sure i i i stay calm because i don't want to go on a crazy rant i think it's just absolutely insane that you have people doing this to you know children children and the amount of brainwashing that's going on is just out of control and i can't even believe that now it's escalating to the point of now he is Watching them have sex, forcing them pretty much to have sex while he watches. Especially think about the psychological trauma involved, especially on Daniel's side. If he's questioning his sexuality and it's basically him trying to brainwash Daniel into thinking that he's straight. Yeah, this is terrible on so many levels. This isn't like there's so many issues that are like and lines being crossed. I don't even know it's where so to begin. It's so much. It's like a jumble. Yeah, I have no idea I know. where to begin. You can't even organize your thoughts about no, it because it's... It's terrible. It's traumatic on so many different levels. It really is. I think that he definitely had a sexual relationship with Isabella prior to this, but now a person that you think cared about you is is basically pimping you out. That's what he's doing as well. Yeah. I mean, this is terrible. I, I mean, I feel terrible for Isabella and everybody else involved. This is yeah. insane. Now, Daniel says that all of these situations disturbed him. He claimed that there was no consent here. It may have seemed like Isabella wanted everything that was happening, but in reality, her mind was being twisted by Larry and that she only wanted it because he did and she wanted to make him happy. Despite these feelings, Daniel didn't want to leave the apartment. And this is because of his insecurities. Everyone else seemed to love what was happening, but he didn't. And it made him feel even more so like something was wrong with him, so he pretended to be more a part of it. However, a new challenge lie ahead for Larry. As part of their program, Claudia and Daniel had to leave to study abroad the following fall semester. Before she left, Larry made her promise her devotion to him by emailing Green, the Dean of Student Life, and writing that at first she may have had apprehensions towards the man, well, What's going to come out is that at first, Claudia um, is going to write a letter to Green that she was uncomfortable with him staying there. But now she's writing an email saying that um, at one point she might have thought he was dangerous, manipulative, a sexual deviant. But she knows now after spending the summer with him that he's not. She claims that Larry's ex-wife had tricked her into making those statements in the previous email. So now here we go. Conspiracy theory again. Everyone's going to be, everyone's just wearing tinfoil hats. Yeah, at this point they are. Yeah. Yep. Now, even though Daniel and Claudia were in England, it didn't mean that they were 
able to break from the family unit that was established. The two would need to Skype into family meetings, and they would continue to be coached through sex while Larry watched via Skype. While on break from their time abroad, they would live on 93rd Street, and once the semester was over, they moved in again, for good. At this point, most of the Sarah Lawrence kids, who originally lived in Slonim 9, are living with Larry on 93rd Street and then commuting to the Yonkers campus, which is kind of a drive. It's not an easy one. There's no easy drive in the city. That is true. Trust me, I know. (laughs) So over time, Claudia moved into campus housing. But over time, Claudia is going to move out of the apartment and into campus housing. But she's going to visit Larry at the apartment three times a week. Okay, let's take a break to hear from our second sponsor, Wix.com. Join over 140 million people who use Wix for their website. You can start today and publish for free. You'll love choosing from over 500 stunning templates, like we did. They have something for everyone and every business. But if you have a specific design in mind, you can start completely from scratch. Wix.com has something for everyone especially for those like us who have no idea how to create a website. It's the Wix editor that can help you. This editor is an easy website builder that allows you to drag and drop everything you need into one place. And Wix's artificial intelligence design can help you create and organize your website by answering a few questions about your business. Wix can also help you organize your information for both your audience and yourself. The importance of completing your website is undeniable in this day and age. Your online presence is so important, and Wix can help your presence not only grow, but look professional and polished. The built-in task managers and reminder tools will also help keep you on track by helping you meet your deadlines and managing your workflow. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X dot com slash podcast to get 10% off. Again, that's Wix.com slash podcast. Okay, let's get back to the show. So while Claudia and Daniel were abroad, Larry turned his attentions towards the most vulnerable of his group, Santos. Desperate to get the approval he sought from Larry, Santos introduced Larry to his older sisters, Yelitsa and Felicia. Santos's family was a tight-knit group. His parents had immigrated from the Dominican Republic in the early 1980s, and they operated a small travel agency. They worked tirelessly to provide for their children and give them the best education that this country had to offer. And they really did. Their children were extremely gifted. Yelitsa was an undergrad at Columbia when she first started visiting the apartment on 93rd Street. Felicia, the eldest of the three, was a Harvard graduate and had a medical degree from Columbia. So not only had the two daughters gone to Columbia and then one also to Harvard, but their sons at Sarah Lawrence. So these are gifted children. Yeah. She had started her residency in Los Angeles when Larry began calling her on a regular basis. It wasn't long before Larry had convinced Felicia that people were after her in California. I was concerned because of my parents, because this whole thing involved Bernard Keurig and the police, Felicia recalled. 
going to the police in California in Los Angeles, which is incredibly corrupt, it was like, is this really going to be effective, Felicia thought. So she abandoned her residency program and moved in with Larry. She left her residency program. So she did not become a doctor because Larry convinced her that Keurig and the police were after her for some reason. And she went to move in with him. I can't even fathom that. What uh, What's going on? Like, I mean, I know this guy's a smooth talker and he's such an evil person. But how person. much of a smooth talker can... Yeah, like, I know he's an evil person and I know he's manipulative. I know that. But it's just like... How good is this guy? What's going on? Like, what he's trying to convey to her has nothing to do with her. Well, I think that he probably entered into his conversation with her under the guise of, look, I've helped your brother. Or maybe it's because of their brother. Because Santos was a troubled young guy. He had attempted suicide before. So the fact that he helped her brother might have given her an open mind to him. It's possible. And now she's in a faraway city where she feels uncomfortable and very vulnerable. And she's exhausted, too, because of her residency program. I think it aligned, too, there. Yeah, I guess you're right. So Larry and Felicia are going to quickly enter into a romantic relationship. They often talked about marriage and having children together. Larry has referred to both Felicia and Isabella as his wife. So... Both the sisters. No, no, no. Isabella oh, is I'm sorry. the friend yes, from Sarah. I'm sorry. His daughter's best friend from Sarah Lawrence. Right, right. But now I'm sure things with Aunt Isabella and her devotion to Larry is going to kind of amp up here because now she has competition in Felicia. Right. So things are going to get complicated. Larry has a long history of manipulating women. According to multiple people who knew him in the 1990s, it was common for Larry to offer sex with his girlfriend. Um, so we know it's, it was, Larry had, it was well known that he had a long-term girlfriend while dating and being married to Teresa. So he offers his girlfriend up to his friends and business associates and not doing what Larry wanted had consequences. According to one person, when his girlfriend tried to leave their relationship, Larry sent graphic pictures of her to her parents. And when a different girlfriend broke up with him, Larry purchased a GPS tracking device and, according to a police report, tried to get someone to attach it to her car. At least two associates of Larry's described witnessing situations in which they felt some of the women Larry lived with were being offered up for sexual purposes. And this is something that most likely is 100% true because this is something that he did with Claudia, with Daniel, remember? And the landlord. Yes. So it seems like this is a pattern in and his And what life. kind of shitty human being do you have to be as a landlord to fucking do that? Well, it hasn't been clarified whether or not the landlord was involved, but it was offered. Ah, I see what you're so saying. We so don't you, we don't know 100% if it happened. if it happened. Right. Okay. Because we're going to see what happens later on, but you can tell the landlord doesn't approve of what's been going down in this apartment. Okay, fine. So then I take that back then. For now. <laughs> For now. Over time, the 93rd Street apartment grew smaller and smaller as Larry began his own renovations. Of course, being on amphetamines and being up all the time, he's like constantly looking for stuff to do. So he starts renovations on this apartment, not approved renovations. 
He removed door handles from both bathroom doors and no one questioned it. Everyone knew that everything Larry did had a reason behind it. And at this time, the kids and their relationships with their parents grew more and more distant. Daniel's parents wrote to him in emails asking where their son was. His father wrote to him, I can't reach you. What changed? I don't understand. This only seems to happen when you're at Larry's, but I can't figure it out. Are you in a trance? On drugs? And though Daniel's parents were distressed by their son's relationship with Larry, they never attempted any dramatic intervention. But Daniel, reflecting back, understands why. There was nothing that was going to dissuade me. They were just justifiably afraid. And I made this clear to them, whether through my words or actions, that if they weren't on board with Larry, that I would just stop talking to them. In some ways, that's more of a dangerous thing. You could just lose contact altogether and have absolutely no lifeline. And Claudia's parents felt the same way Daniel's did. Claudia's parents tried to talk to her about Larry, but it seemed like no matter what they did, their daughter did not want to listen. One weekend, instead of getting their phone call, they got a visit to their house. And they were excited because they hadn't seen their daughter. But when they opened the door, they quickly realized that Claudia wasn't alone she had brought larry along oh my god no these poor parents i couldn't even imagine so on this weekend's night claudia her parents and larry in their apartment in manhattan they are going to sit down and have dinner and larry immediately begins asking about her mother's first child claudia is her mother's first child but Larry insists, no, that she has a fir- another first child, a girl who died at birth. Larry said it must have been difficult for her to love Claudia, having just gotten over the loss of her first daughter. Claudia's mother recalls saying, I looked at him and I said, what are you talking about? When Claudia was born, it was the joy of my life. Claudia was everything to me. I had a daughter and I was so happy. And he dug in until I just exploded crying. He was trying to break us down. She was on his team and her father and I were on another team. She said, I don't believe you, mom. I don't believe you could have loved me because of her. And then Claudia left with Larry. And that's when we knew that he had total control over her. First of all, I just want to say this. If you were being attacked by a stranger... Verbally, of course. Yeah. I probably would have kicked them out of my house. Oh, yeah. Without even... But and, think, and it wouldn't have just been with words either. I, like, I it's think ridiculous. that their fear of losing their daughter makes them not want to do that. I, I hear you. And I, and I, but you I understand what, what you're saying. Yeah. And that That's my first thought is that... I wouldn't allow someone to be doing that it's to just, me in my own house. No, and, but it also you also have to. But like, I also don't have my daughter being held correct captive by somebody. Yeah, right. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I guess the fear is at this point, like you know, did we already lose her? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's so scary. Yeah, it's so sad. It is sad. Totally sad. So while Larry was working to create his dominance over the students and their parents. He expanded his control into the financial world. Larry created scenarios in which the students would have to pay him money to make up for the trivial things they broke. He would claim that someone stole from him, stole or ruined his things, and that he would add these things up and put them on their tab. 
Santos once wrote an email to Larry stating that he owed him around $48,000. To pay for this, Santos turned to his parents. He threatened suicide if they did not give him the money he owed Larry. Santos's father went to the apartment. He wanted to see the damage his son did that amounted to that crazy amount of money. But Larry met him in the lobby and refused to let him up. But now it was the group's senior year of school. They were entering their third year of being manipulated by Larry. But now it was the group's senior year of school. And it was also their third year of being manipulated by Larry. Their numbers grew by two with the addition of Santos's sisters. And during their senior year, Daniel would again bear the brunt of Larry's rages. During this time, Talia was applying to various law schools. However, she had missed the deadline for Stanford Law School. Larry accused Daniel of being the one who intentionally sabotaged his daughter by distracting her. Like, really? I mean... Your daughter's lazy. Yeah, or she just was forgetful and just fucked up. Why are you blaming other people for your daughter's shit? I know. I know Talia's a victim, too, but I also don't like that she is, like, helping her father get more victims. It's just... Yeah, no. I know it's a cycle. I know it is, but vicious cycle. I am a little. I don't know. I'm mad at her too, a little <laughs> bit. But I know I shouldn't be. I know she's a victim. Right. Okay. But anyway, she should say, "Dad, no, he didn't distract me." That's what she should have said in this point. But she didn't. And that night, Daniel had to sign a confession in which he denied having anything to do with the missed deadline. But even though Daniel signed a confession, Larry, of course, was not happy with this. It's gonna get rough, and I. Apologize, I know you hate these. He decided to crush pieces of aluminum foil into little balls and roll them up. He placed the balls inside a string of saran wrap and made a kind of necklace out of the little balls. He then fashioned it into a garrote, and in front of everyone, he ordered Daniel to wrap this contraption around his testicles and penis. Larry then began twisting the device. And he twisted it and twisted it until the metal cut off circulation to his genitals and broke his flesh. And eventually he confessed to maliciously doing it, not just accidentally doing it. This man is a sick bastard. He is. And I I, I wonder what his aggression is with Daniel because Daniel's always the victim here. And things are only going to get worse for Daniel. Now, before we get into what's going to happen next, let's take a break to hear from our third sponsor of this show, Best Fiends. America has fallen in love with the five-star rated mobile puzzle game, Best Fiends. Come and discover the world of Best Fiends and its cute characters in this fiendishly fun, free-to-download mobile puzzle game. Currently, I am holding steady at level 75, by collecting and upgrading adorable bug characters and defeating slugs. I love playing this game. It's a great way to exercise my brain, but also relax. I promise this is a totally different puzzle experience. The epic storyline will keep you engaged, as will the thousands of hours of gameplay waiting for you. I promise it's easy to learn, but difficult to master. Again, here I am trying to break level 75. Anyone can play this game, and we promise you that you'll love it. Solve thousands of fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters on this five-star rated mobile game. 
on the Apple App Store and Google Play, where it can be downloaded for free. Remember, that's friends without the R. Best fiends. All right, let's get back to the show. So what we're going to talk about next is a direct account from Daniel that appeared in the article from the cut that I mentioned at the beginning of the show. So what we talked about with Daniel isn't really the first time that Larry is going to show his flashes of violence. According to the landlord, Larry would abuse Santos a lot, and he would often put the 20-year-old in a sleeper hold until he passed out. And then once Santos woke up, Larry would be standing over him, and he would say, did the darkness envelop you? Which is the freaking creepiest thing you could wake up to after being put in a sleeper hold. Once again, what? he's sick. This man is out of his mind. I know, he really is. So once after Daniel supposedly damaged the oven, Larry asked him to kneel and then stood over him with a knife and threatened to dismember him as he was screaming at the boy. On one of Daniel's final visits to the apartment, he told Larry he was still feeling unsure about his sexuality. Enough of this, Daniel remembers Larry replying. Go and get one of your dresses, he said to Isabella. And in front of all of the Sarah Lawrence kids, Larry told Daniel to put on a dress and retrieve the mail from the building's lobby, where everyone could see him. When he returned, Larry handed Daniel a dildo and ordered him to penetrate himself while everyone was watching. And he recalls that Larry commanded him to continue as his friends laughed at him. I mean, this is just... Once That's again, so fucked up. I mean, it's just getting worse and worse. And you, you question. I mean, I mean, I don't even question the man's it's, sanity it's anymore. It's the mob but... mentality and the fear of something worse happening to them. I understand, but this is h- horrific. I mean, I can't even think of a word for I it. I think this is like one of the cases, one of the hardest cases to like listen to, and kind of. Because you just feel so bad for all of these kids. Yeah, because it's not just one victim. It's 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 multiple and. All of them have different things that have gotten them to the to point where point. they are yeah. now. Yeah. Daniel recalls um, being horrified, scared, and crying. Larry had always told Daniel that everything that happened in the apartment was for his own good. But after that experience, Daniel finally found the courage to leave. In 2013, spring semester of his senior year, Daniel acquired on campus housing. He stopped responding to phone calls or emails from anyone living in the 93rd Street apartment. After this happened, those who grew close to Larry were wavering slightly in their faith in him. In order to keep dominance, Larry is going to have to isolate the kids even further. Now, I know that this is something, it's it's a far jump, but I recently read the new Manson book and what people who have studied the case equate the jump in murder to is so Manson wanted all of the kids to move with him out into the desert, but the kids didn't want to do that. So he was losing them. So in a state of desperation, he's going to go out and reach forward and, and kind of ask them to do what he asked them to do. So because Larry is now going to be losing the kids, he's going to do these big reaches to try and keep them with him. So it is, it's things that happen with cult leaders when they lo- they're they starting to lose their flock. 
You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, they become desperate, I guess. Right. Towards the end of their senior year, Larry is going to bring Claudia, Isabella, Yulitsa, and Felicia to his stepfather's house in Pinehurst, North Carolina. Like I said before, only further isolating them. He had the girls work to install new drainage system on the property. There, Larry continued his same behavior, controlling every minute of the women's days. When they returned, the women immediately were begging their families for money because they had apparently damaged the property while at the house in North Carolina. The parents of Santos, Yulitsa, and Felicia believe that they spent more than $200,000 since Santos first met Larry on damaged property alone. They had to sell their home to cover the cost. I know what you're thinking, and yes, they did go to the police and complain, but there was nothing the police could do. Everyone was over 18, legal adults. Claudia's parents, who also went to the police, were told the same thing. Now, see, if Santos is is threatening suicide, the police said, we can take him in for a psychiatric hold, but he didn't verbalize that to us, so we can't because he's over 18. So because they're all technically adults in the eye of the law, their parents have no rights over them here. And you don't think for a second that Larry knew that? Oh, 100%. You know what I mean? Like, like he's calculating. He knows what could possibly derail him. Right. Well, because of all the complaints, especially from Claudia's parents, police finally do a wellness check. But, I mean, that this one wellness check took four years of Claudia's parents complaining. And when they visited Claudia and Larry and the others who were there, they determined that Claudia was acting of her own free will and that nothing could be done. But that's a flash forward. Let's go back to Talia and the group's senior year of college. In 2013, during the spring semester, Yulitsa's parents received a phone call from Mount Sinai Hospital. They were told that their daughter had been admitted to the hospital and that they should come in. Once they arrived, they were told by the doctors that their daughter had attempted suicide by swallowing a bottle of Tylenol and that she was in a coma. Later that week, she woke up and was transferred to a hospital in White Plains. Her parents tended to her every day. Although this was an awful occurrence, maybe she would be spending enough time away from Larry to know that he was no good for her. However, that was not the case. One day when they went to the hospital to see their daughter, they were informed that if they wanted to visit, they had to do so with Larry present. Overnight, Elitza had made Larry her emergency contact and told hospital staff that she no longer wanted her parents to see her alone anymore. She did not trust them. (coughs) In court, Yulitsa will later state that she believed Larry examined her while she was in a coma. She thinks that he looked at her lab results and that he was able to save her life by giving suggestions to the medical team working on her. Because Yulitsa was an adult, the hospital had to oblige this new rule, and her parents did not get to see their daughter for the rest of her hospital stay. The ending of 2013 school year was going different for the other roommates of 93rd Street. Talia and Isabella were graduating. Daniel also graduated, but at a distance from his former housemates. Claudia would graduate a semester late in the winter of 2013. Santos, unfortunately never graduated. Claudia's mother is going to say that Green, the dean of students, approached her husband and said he was glad he would not be seeing Larry anymore. 
which is proof that they knew he was there the whole time. Yeah, and I'm 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 just so confused as to like why they couldn't do anything as a college. I just would like to know why. I mean, maybe we're not. Maybe we're we don't know. I think the they didn't details. want to get involved in it, and I think they wanted to keep it really quiet. Wow. Yeah. After Claudia graduated, she began a certificate program at Columbia while working part-time in a data analytics firm. During this time, she lived both in her parents' apartment and Larry's. See, we're talking about such bright kids, which makes just puts another like layer of sadness onto this whole thing because the future they could have had versus what he's stopping them from doing is just terrible. I agree. When her parents told her that they wanted her to live with them full time, she said that if they wanted her to stop going to East 93rd Street apartment, they would have to physically stop her. It was like she was literally hypnotized, her mother recalled. Because of all the stress, Claudia's parents separated shortly after her December graduation. Claudia's parents separated in 2013, in large because of the stress that Larry had injected into their relationship. Her mother eventually moved out of the city, and Claudia started living in hotels. In 2014, Claudia began working as an escort under a fake name that was given to her by Larry. It was like a culmination of his two daughters' names. Her website advertised services for $8,000 a night. This girl who went to Sarah Lawrence and then was accepted to Columbia is escorting now. For $8,000 a night to pay for the damage that she did to the North Carolina home. you got to be kidding. No. Ooh, open the blinds. It looks like there's going to be a thunderstorm. Well, let's check it out. Okay. All right. Sorry, guys. <laughs> what is sad here is that shortly after their daughter is coerced into escorting, Claudia's parents are going to find themselves in the same situation as Ulitz's parents did the year before. They had to rush to Mount Sinai in 2014, after they received a call from the doctors telling them that their daughter attempted suicide by swallowing a bottle of Tylenol, just as Ulitsa had done the year before. When they got to the hospital, again Mount Sinai, they learned that their daughter, after receiving treatment, was okay. However, Larry was with her. She asked the head nurse when he got there, and it was the nurse that told the woman immediately, this isn't the first time we've seen him here before. Because the nurse remembered him from the time of Ulitsa's attempted suicide. What is sad is that those two attempts are the only ones we have details into at this point. Before this group met Larry, Santos had attempted suicide. Once they fall under his spell, Isabella, Ulitsa, and Claudia all are going to attempt suicide. The only reason we know about those two cases is because they actually went to the hospital. When asked about their attempts, Larry estimated that between all of the Sarah Lawrence kids, there were 12 suicide attempts made in the 93rd Street apartment. Despite this fact, the housemates continued to live together. That is until late 2014, when the landlord of the apartment on East 93rd, growing increasingly disturbed by what was happening there, evicted Larry Ray. The landlord was also upset about all of the renovations that Larry started to just do. Larry chose to counter sue. He listed Felicia, Isabella, and Talia as his witnesses. The case actually went to trial in early 2015. 
Claudia, Isabella, and Yulitsa were called to testify as witnesses. Bizarrely, when asked how long she had known Larry, Claudia said this, The first time I heard his name mentioned, I was probably nine years old. Over the course of her hour-long testimony, Claudia laid out an elaborate conspiracy tracking back through three generations of her family. She testified that as a child, she overheard her grandfather talking about Larry making trouble. Even then, she said she knew Curic and Giuliani were somehow involved. As Claudia neared her college age, she testified Larry's mother had contacted Claudia's mother and told her to send Claudia to Sarah Lawrence in order to hurt Larry and Talia. Claudia then went on to make the claim that when she began attending Sarah Lawrence, Keurig began to pay her parents off. She then said that Keurig himself ordered her to poison Larry with a variety of substances like arsenic, cyanide, mercury, silver, and lead. She said that after she attempted to poison him, her mother told her that Bernie was happy with her performance, meaning Keurig. According to Claudia, Keurig also told her to poison the other girls in the house as well. On the stand, Yulitsa said that her parents were once drug dealers and money launderers. They had pimped her sister Felicia when they were children. She also claimed that Keurig agreed to pay her parents if she too attempted to poison and kill Larry Rye. She had tried to use heroin, fungicide, LSD, and once put fecal matter into his bandages. If she successfully poisoned Larry, her parents promised to give her $1 million. All the girls told the court that Larry was a guardian over the vulnerable youth. He was a loving father figure. Both women said that they felt bad that they were tricked and bribed into trying to poison such a loving and giving man. Larry won them over, and they wanted to repay him by testifying for him. The court unmoved by all of these bizarre statements, is going to rule in favor of the eviction. The judge is probably like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, I mean, you got to realize, like, <laughs> they're all coming unhinged, I feel like, as... During this yeah, testimony, testimony of this trial. That yeah. shit has nothing to fucking do with getting evicted. Nothing at all. And it's just so funny that they thought that that would help him. Well, their defense is that th- there's this master plot trying to undo him. And the landlord's involved. I hear you, but I mean, it, they're coming unhinged. This is so stupid. Yeah. The whole thing. The entire thing that they said, their testimony. Now, even though the landlord was able to, through the court, successfully evict him, it would take a year to get them out. In response to what was said about him in court, Bernie Keurig finally gets involved, and he had the following to say. Larry Ray is a psychotic con man who has victimized every friend he's ever had. It has been close to 20 years since I last heard from him, yet his reign of terror in my life continues. I feel really bad for this guy. So do I. Even though he kind of did some shady things. Let's be honest. I agree. Even though the court chose not to hear or believe the claim about the supposed poisoning, Larry was not ready to let it go. He sent a letter explaining the conspiracy against him to the U.S. attorney. He set up a meeting with a special agent of the EPA to investigate the substances used in his poisonings. And of course, he created a website documenting all of this. He put up Claudia's written confessions. 
She said in a letter that she would poison Talia at least once a day and make sure her entire fridge was poisoned. She would put mercury on her toothbrush and began sleeping over in her room more and more frequently to accomplish this goal. Also, she put arsenic and mercury in her undergarments, and she also attempted to poison drinks at their dorm parties. That's a new one, because it's usually like, oh, watch out for guys putting roofies in your drinks, but now it's like, watch for the girl putting arsenic in your drink because she's involved in an international conspiracy to take your father down. Yeah, I mean, I mean also, let's That's just... That's not something Yeah, let's also look at the to fact... worry about. <laughs> right. Let's think about this for a second, though. All these chemicals and, and, and compounds that he's referring are to... Are not easy to They get. are not easy to obtain. And also, putting a fucking mercury on a toothbrush, like, it's obviously going to be visible. You, you, it just doesn't stay on the toothbrush. It's, it's a, it's a it's liquid. It's very bizarre. It's a liquid metal. <laughs> so, so on the website, there was also a video link to a video of Claudia on a bed in her Sarah Lawrence sweats looking confused. Again, she's probably tired. She's probably doing drugs. She says, I never stop poisoning Lawrence Ray or Talia Ray. And off screen, you can hear Larry ask her if she's making this video of her own free will. She says immediately, yes, that she is. And you want to make this because of what? Larry asked her. Because I just want to tell the truth, she replied. Now, after being forced to leave the apartment, Larry now lives with Isabella and Felicia in New Jersey great the girls act as both his assistant and his girlfriends although larry told journalists from the cut that he is unable to have sex since the poisoning began years before in fact the poisoning attempts did more than affect his sex life they also as he says give him lasting headaches loss of teeth they sometimes make him have a limp so that's the physical effects he's gotten from the poisoning he says Isabella and Felicia refuse now to see or stay with their parents. Larry said that Talia suffers from the same symptoms due to poisoning. She no longer lives with him. She now resides in North Carolina with her step-grandfather. But he maintains that they still talk every day. When the cut releases exclusive story about him, Larry, Ray, and the girls who are still living with him to this day deny everything in the article, especially what happened to Daniel. The only thing Larry says is true is the money that he took from Claudia while she was escorting to pay back what she owed him. Speaking of Claudia, she, like Daniel, made the decision to leave Larry a little over a month ago. A month ago. In April, Claudia met up with a former employee, uh, one she had not spoken to since she asked to borrow $500,000 from him to pay back Larry. Claudia admitted that when she was unable to give Larry the money she owed him, he strapped her to a chair and put a plastic bag over her head until she almost passed out. Upon hearing this, her former employee bought her a ticket out of town that night. Claudia took the opportunity to leave. She turned off her cell phones and left everything she owned. About leaving Larry and receiving the care she needs, Claudia said the following, I've been smiling and crying and smiling and crying for the past few days. The only person more excited about her freedom than she is, is Claudia's mother. What's really amazing is she is so strong enough to be getting through this. She was strong enough to say, okay, this is enough and I've got to get out of here. Larry, of course, does not share the same sentiments. 
Regarding Claudia, Larry is still trying to reach her. In an email that Larry sent to Claudia, he states, You said you would never run and hide, and I have no understanding as to why you are doing so now. In my experience, the truth, capitalized, has always been important to you and proper regard for the truth has always helped you. You asked me to promise to never abandon you, and I have not. That's so much coercive control. Oh, of course. I know that this story, especially towards the end, seems to jump around a lot, but it's because only through Daniel's strength and Claudia's strength and the work of the journalists at The Cut is that this information is slowly being made public. Daniel, after leaving the apartment on 93rd Street, is going to find a group for cult escapees. And once he began understanding what happened to him, he began to open up to those around him, to his parents and to his now girlfriend, because now Daniel identifies being straight. And that is how we are introduced to what happened and what is still happening. So Larry has never been punished for for what he has done to these kids. And I think that justice is definitely going to be slow, but hopefully eventual. Yeah, no, I agree. I hope that he the problem gets what he is, deserves. The problem is they're all adults. Right, so that that's is true. What makes things difficult, but I mean, it's hard because the laws don't work in our favor right now to like prosecute him for what he's truly doing. I know laws are slowly changing when it comes to coercive control and stalking and and things like that, but people taking advantage of vulnerable people should definitely be against the law. Yeah, you know what? This is her horrible. Yeah, it is. This whole situation, this whole story is terrible. But there's just two things. There's uh, two things I want to mention. One, you know, um, the the fact that Daniel and Claudia were brave enough to finally leave is incredible. And with that being said, we hope that the rest of them will do the same. Find the strength yes. to do the same as well. You know, I'm sure it's very difficult and I'm sure it's difficult for them personally if they are struggling and want to leave internally and also for the parents and the rest of the families of them as well but at least we know that this is a possibility that they could leave just like the other two did yeah i think getting the message out there about what is happening is probably the most important thing we can do in this case so that's why we really want it to even though i feel like the story isn't 100 percent complete to get it out there so people could know what happened Yes. You know, I thought that was important. Absolutely. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us for part two of episode 51. Next weekend, we're going to have a Patreon episode up. So all of our Patreon supporters could be um, waiting for that one. If you want to donate to our Patreon, you can do so at patreon.com slash true crime couple to get bonus episodes and just kind of get a little bit more true crime couple. Yep. And really quickly before we go, I want to just say the unsung hero, even though this story is not Oh yes, I forgot all unsung hero. Done, I want to say that my unsung hero is the landlord. Oh, even though you you hated him at first, I did. but then you found uh, out. Yeah. Yeah, you know what that you know what? I you made me see a little clearer. So I think he's the unsung hero from getting them evicted because he saw through all the bullshit eventually. And was and able it kind to... of brought stuff to light because during the trial. Yes. So that's my unsung hero. All right. My unsung hero. My unsung hero. Hmm. Maybe Pete Townsend. Yeah. You think so? No, I take that back. My unsung hero is... 
I don't know. I think that they're all heroes. To today, Junior? <laughs> oh, don't be mean. Uh, I think that... No, I think that they're all heroes. The only unsung hero, I would say, I agree with you, is the landlord. All right, cool. So we're in agreement then? We are in agreement. This is pretty awesome. rare that we are in oh, agreement. Oh, come on. That's not true. <laughs> all right, guys. Um, so like I said, Patreon is going to be up next weekend. And then in two weekends, we'll have episode 52 for you. And... Yes, because this is part one of episode 51. John's looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm not crazy. <laughs> I like to check her just to make sure. <laughs> and again, if you like us, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. We're getting some good ones and we're super happy about it. Yes. Yes, we are. All right, guys. See you later. Bye, guys.